This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, how is everybody tonight? Amen. Glad to be in church on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Who's enjoying the heat like I am? Yeah. Bring it on. No, don't, don't really. Don't bring it on. But, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I know we're all a little bit warm tonight. And, uh, and, and <laughs> it's just, I feel bad for us, but I don't feel that bad because, you know, I'm looking at like these churches we've been to in Nicaragua and stuff like that. And, uh, Monica, you know, one of the last churches we went to is out in the jungle. And all they, there's no walls at all. There's just a dirt floor with a grass top hut on it. And it's like 4 billion percent humidity and 100 degrees. That is one of the worst feelings ever. And they're so glad to go meet under their little hut. And, and they don't complain at all. They show up by the hundreds and, and all this stuff. What? The dogs even show up to church. It's great. They're starving dogs walking around the church. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to see people show up even when it's hot because if a little heat scares you, you should be really scared of hell. Can I get an amen? Come on. Woo! All right. Well, tonight the title is this. I, I'm not going to be mean tonight. I'm actually, I want to encourage us for a little bit. I feel like we need some encouragement to help get us through the rest of this summer. We're about halfway there. But I sense that we need some encouragement from the Word of God tonight. And the title is this, Encouragement from Isaiah. Like That's, that's kind of a strange title. It's, it's a little bit different tonight. It's a little different than, than the path we usually take. But for one, I love the book of Isaiah. It seems like I study it every summer. And uh, there's just so much stuff I get out of Isaiah. I love the book of Isaiah. It's very encouraging to me, even though there's some things in there that are less than encouraging. But, uh, but, but I love the book of Isaiah. And, and there's something that King Solomon said uh, that maybe you didn't realize he said, but you've probably heard it. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's kind of hard for us to comprehend in our technological age because we get new stuff all the time, right? I mean, there's new, there's new things every single week, new things that we can't even begin to imagine. But Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And so to look at the context of that, the devil doesn't have any new tricks. He doesn't. You know, we're like, well, here's a new sin. They just came out. No, there's really, there's nothing new under the sun. It's always been there. People have always lusted and committed that sin. People have always stole from other people. It's just now there's new avenues to do it. You can do it from your phone and not ever have to meet somebody face to face, but steal everything in their account, right? And so there may be new, uh, uh, the, the, the things may be repackaged. There may be a new avenue to it, but the devil has no new tricks. He's doing the same thing that he's been doing for thousands and thousands of years, okay? And so, one thing, though, that I see him doing, that I know that he's always done and been successful with, is trying to bring discouragement to Christians. To discourage you. To say, would you look at the shape of the world? Would you look at what you just did? You're never going to be able to. You, you loser. You you really blew it this time. Or, or the, uh, the, look at this. Look at what are these people doing? And, and, and he tries to bring discouragement from all sorts of different ways. And nowadays, when we're surrounded by 24-7 nonstop, I mean, you are constantly surrounded, bombarded with every possible source of news and information and people's personal lives that you really did not want to know, just all the time pouring into your life. 
And so the devil's always used discouragement, but I would say that it's a little bit easier to look around and get discouraged these days because it's non-stop, 24-7, if you'll let it be, if you'll invite it into your house, 24-7, uh, just information and news and people's lives coming in, okay? And so I want to show you some verses tonight that have really ministered to my life. That I, I love it, man. I love Isaiah. And so the opening verse I want to show you is this, is Isaiah 25, verse 9. And I recommend that you write these down. I, I highly recommend, man, follow along. Get a Bible out. Come on. Isaiah 25, verse 9. And I believe that, that uh, the, man, the Lord's going to show you some things tonight. Is there anybody that could use a little bit of encouragement? Okay. Well, it's easy to get discouragement. You don't have to go far for that. But tonight, you're going to find encouragement in the house of God. And I tell you, you, you come into the house of God, you should be encouraged. Isaiah 25, and we're going to look here at verse 9. And this is just a fantastic verse. Isaiah 25, verse 9, it says this, And that day the people will proclaim, This is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation He brings. And I read that verse and I'm like, yeah! Because listen to me, one of these days, and we don't even have to wait for that, but it says, this is our God. Have you ever been there? Man, you were facing the storm. You were going through the flood. You were walking through the flames. And then you get to the other side of it and you can look back and say, this is our God. We trusted in Him and He delivered us. He came through for us. And I'm telling you, that's the attitude you have to have. But so, so many people, they want to shout after the walls have already crumbled, but that's not what God called you to do. He said, you've got to shout while the walls are still up and then they're going to fall down, just like Joshua did when they when they circled Jericho for those seven days. They didn't. They, anybody can shout after the walls came down, right? I know a lot of people, they want to get it at testimony time. Yeah, woo, God is good. Listen, you've got to be able to say God is good while the wall is still standing in front of you. Before the mountain moves, you can't wait to praise God after the mountain's moved. You've got to be able to be a person of praise while the mountain is staring you in the face saying, I'm going to kill you. You're not going to beat me. Maybe last time, but not this time. If you can't shout, if you can't praise God until the problem's already behind you, then it's not going to happen. You've got to be able to say this. This is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. Amen? And so let's look at three things here tonight. These are directly out of the Word of God. The first thing I'm going to say tonight is this, is that we are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Like, well, where did you get that from? I'll tell you where I got it from, man. I'll tell you exactly where I got it from. I got it from Isaiah 26. So we are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. And I tell you what, man, I... If I'm going to be surrounded, I want to be surrounded by God. He is a fortress around me. Isaiah 26, verse 1. Let's take a look at this. We'll spend most of our night in Isaiah, but we will flip to a couple other spots. Isaiah 26, verse 1. And it says this, In that day, everyone in the land of Judah will sing this song. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. We are surrounded 
by the walls of God's salvation. And in case you didn't know it, I'll just fill you in. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing to be surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Can you imagine if you had your own personal like uh, security service, man, you had a bunch of like big dudes that everywhere you went, you had your own little secret service. They they surrounded you everywhere you went. You you probably have a little extra level of comfort and confidence, right? I mean, you, you have a little bit of extra something in your step because you're like, hey, they got to get through those guys before they can do anything to me. I mean, what's the worst that could happen here? They got to beat these guys. And and as good of a feeling as that would be, as nice as that would be. Listen, you are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. You can't see it right now, but all around me, there's a wall on every side of me that you're not getting through because it's the wall of God's salvation. And you can't break that barrier, man. You can't. The only way that you can break through that hedge is if I do something stupid to let an opening into the wall. Amen. Because God's not going to break it. Satan can't penetrate it. But listen, the only way you're getting through that wall is if I'm dumb and invite you through it. But I'm not going to do that. I am surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. And one thing that comes to mind is every year uh, we have the Christmas play. Miss Betty, is uh, she writes our Christmas play every year. And it's adorable. I mean, that's like that's circled on my calendar before the new year even begins. I love the Christmas service. And in fact, I, I'm working on getting a Christmas suit for this year, guys. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm for, for reals. They're on sale right now on jcpenny.com. So if you, I'm just, hey, I may actually have one this year. I've been threatening for several years now, but this could be the year. So one of the things that I think of, though, is we always have, I should have put a picture up. There's always one of the little kids that his, his job of the play is to be a Christmas present. Have you ever seen? And we, we poke little holes in the side and a place for their head. And they're, they're a little box walking around. And it's absolutely adorable. But I'm like, man, that kid is like, he's boxed in on every side. What, what's up with this? And that's how I imagine me. Okay, I'm that adorable little kid. And I am boxed in on every side. But it's with the walls of God's salvation. I'm surrounded. And so are you. But let me show you something here because you're obviously, you don't look like you're believing me right now. You're just sitting there. Like, Listen, I want to show you something in 2 Kings chapter 6. We will be coming back to Brother Isaiah. But let's look over here at 2 Kings chapter 6. Man, you picked a good night to come to church. Yeah, you did. You picked a good night to be in the house of the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to look here at verses 15 through 17. And this is the story of uh, the prophet Elisha. Okay, He was being surrounded. The, there was a king after him, man. He was trying to kill him. But, but here's what happens when you mess with a person of God that is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. This is, you, can, you can even picture yourself in this story. But 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, here's what happened. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside. There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. This is Elisha's servant. They're, they're surrounded by an enemy army on every side. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there's more on our side than on theirs. And so this guy is like most of us. He's looking at it in the natural. He's like, okay, there's more on our side than theirs. So they've got 
thousands and we've got one, two. Two against thousands, but there's more on our side. And that's how we look at our problems. I need $500 by, by next month. God doesn't have $500 now, but yet he had David and Solomon build a temple that was worth like $100 billion. They had 185 tons of gold, but he, but he doesn't have $500 for you to help you make your insurance. Wow, that is sad. That's depressing right there. Listen, God's got $500. God's got $5,000, 5000000 what, what is it you need, man? And you're going to sit there and cry about it? Don't do that. You're surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. And so you're looking at it like, we need 500, but I've only got two. There's more of that than what I've got. No, there's not. There's more on our side than on their side. You're just looking at it the wrong way. And so look at this. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Look at that right there. These guys are like, man, we're surrounded on it. But, but when he could actually open his eyes for a minute, the eyes of his heart, his spiritual eyes, and look at the situation from God's perspective, they were surrounded. That army was the one that was surrounded. And they were surrounded by horses and chariots of fire. Well, what is this? This is the Lord of hosts. This is the Lord of heaven's armies. That's what that, this is the heavenly host that we're talking about right here. And we hear that phrase. You see it everywhere in the Bible, the heavenly host. We're like, well, what does that mean? It's not a bunch of cute little naked babies on, on the clouds playing a harp, okay? That's not, this is talking about right here, the heavenly army. And there's nothing cute about the heavenly army. They're stinking warrior ninjas that'll kill. I mean, these are tough dudes right here. And that's what's surrounding these guys. And so we look at things from our perspective, man, I'm surrounded on every side. Well, if you could just open your eyes for if, if, if God could, if you would let God open your eyes for just five seconds and you got this much of a glimpse. There's more on your side than on their side. But you don't see it that way. You got to you got to get a hold of this. I'm trying to encourage you tonight. Whatever it is, you're, I don't know what you're facing, but I can tell you this much. There's more on your side than on the enemy's side. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. And so you have got to get a hold of this. And, 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 and Elisha, he saw this because he walked so close with God. This was everyday stuff for him. This wasn't anything. He saw the army the whole time. But he said, God, if you could just let this kid for just open his eyes for a minute and let him see what I'm seeing. And he had his eyes open for one minute and he saw the walls of God's salvation. He saw the heavenly host. And he, he realized, hey, what are we afraid of? And of course, they ended up winning this battle. And we, you could read the whole story on your own time. But what are the walls of God's salvation? Well, part of the problem that we're having here is this, is that we don't fully understand salvation. And my, I think mom or one, my mom or dad mentioned this just a little bit ago. Listen, we, we take salvation in our, in our, you know, little tiny understanding of scripture as just being saved from hell. Yeah, I found salvation. I'm not going to hell. Okay, good. And you're, and that's good. That is a part of it. 
But salvation, you've got to realize, man, this is the deluxe package. You didn't order off the value menu here, man. You got the combo with cheese on your burger. You got you went and got animal style on your fries, guys. Come on. You got the real deal here. But so many times, like, well, I'm not going to hell. I mean, I got that going for me. Yes, you do. But if you would realize what salvation is, you'd be a lot more excited than that. You would understand that you are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Salvation is a... In the New Testament, it's this Greek word soteria. And, and, and what does soteria mean? Well, soteria means deliverance, preservation, safety, and salvation. It means all, it means all these things right here. And all of these four words, and I, I mean, I, I find that great because it means four things and a wall, if you're surrounded by walls, you got four on each side, right? And so here we are. Salvation literally means deliverance, preservation, safety, salvation. And, and, and so to break it down, deliverance, well, listen right here. You've been delivered from whatever's trying to hold you back in life. That's a good thing. So many Christians unfortunately, are still bound by things in their life. There's still things that got a stronghold on them because the only part of their salvation they realize belongs to them is, well, I'm not going to hell, but I'm addicted to this, but I'm not going to hell. That's good. Yes, that's part of it. But do you realize that Jesus paid the price for your deliverance? You're going to be bound to anything, man. Nothing owns me except God Almighty. No person, no thing, no sin, no substance owns me. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And so, how, well, well, what right do I have to believe that? Well, soteria. It means deliverance. I have been delivered. I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of his dear son, as Paul said in the New Testament. And so that's part of the wall that surrounds me. It says uh, preservation, preservation. Well, I know this much. God's going to preserve me until I get to heaven, man. And then, of course, in heaven, I'm already there. But this is, I believe, where your joy and your peace and, 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 your, and your blessing come into effect. That preserves you, man. God wants you to have a good life. And that's part of the preservation factor. And so I don't like to see a depressed Christian. I'm not down with that. And, I, and, I, and, and I've been there and you've been there. But that's silly. There's no reason for that at all. Because Jesus paid the price for depression. I've been delivered from that stuff, man. I've been preserved. I've got joy. I've got peace. I've got this stuff, man. And that'll preserve me till I get to heaven. What's the other part of salvation? Safety. I can expect God to protect me. I am literally, I could not possibly be any less afraid of death than what I am right now. I, death holds no fear. And you're like, well, that's a pretty big word. You're going to send me straight to heaven? Boo-hoo. I'm not, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of it. And, 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 and Jesus did say that's one of the last uh, uh, enemies that's going to be defeated. I get that. But how can you threaten a Christian with death? I mean, I, I, I don't get it. How, how can you scare me with death when it just means I'm going to be out of the Barstow heat and I'm going to be in heaven? Go ahead. I dare you. <laughs> I'm not. Do it. But seriously, I'm not afraid of dying. 
And I, but I do have this promise that part of my salvation is my safety. And I also believe that this is where healing comes into play. That that's part of salvation. Healing. I'm safe. I, God provided it for me. Then, of course, the last thing that Soteria covered was the word salvation itself. And thank God I'm going to heaven. I am not going to hell. I don't even need to go into that. So what's the second point tonight? What's well, this is that God will keep you in perfect peace. Number one, you're surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. But number two, God will keep you in perfect peace. Well, where do we get that from? I'm not making it up. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Let's go there. Isaiah 26, 3. Who's having a good time? Isaiah 26 and verse 3. And I don't think it would hurt you one bit to read the entire chapter of Isaiah 26. I really don't think it hurts you to read the entire book of Isaiah. But that's, you, you know, Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now, doesn't that sound pretty nice right there? Who would like to be kept in perfect peace? I didn't say part-time peace. I didn't say some of the... I said, who would like to be kept in perfect peace? Oh my gosh, that is a... That is... That's a beautiful thing to even think of. And I know there's some people sitting here right now thinking, oh man, that sounds nice. I wonder why I don't have perfect peace. Well, it's, there's a couple of conditions right here. Did you see that? There's a couple of conditions on this promise. It says, he'll keep in perfect peace, number one, all who trust in God... And when, I don't think this is talking about a part-time trust or a, yeah, it's possible. God could do something about it. That's not trusting God. That's acknowledging the fact that God could possibly do something about your situation, okay? It's nice to acknowledge God's power. It's a whole other level of faith to actually trust in Him. Because I know a lot of people that they'll acknowledge it. God, oh yeah, for sure with God all things are possible. God could absolutely, it is within His power to deliver me out of this. It's a whole other discussion to say, I trust in Him that He will. He is. It is happening. He will. That's trusting God. That's not acknowledging His power. Because He, he doesn't need your acknowledgement. He doesn't need your endorsement. To be God, he's going to be God either way, right? Your endorsement gives him no extra powers. It just makes it available in your life. He's all powerful already. And so he'll keep in perfect peace, number one, all who trust in him. But then number two, all whose thoughts are fixed on him. I would say the majority of Christians that don't have peace, this is where they miss it. Their thoughts are not fixed on God. Their thought life occasionally skims God and occasionally God passes through there along with the sports scores along with what am I going to have for dinner along with did you see the news today along with money 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 I mean uh, listen to me God sometimes crosses their thought life but if we're being honest how many of us could say our thoughts are fixed on him I think most of us could say that I, I really don't. I know most, a lot of the time in my life, my thoughts have not been fixed on, and then I'm like, why don't I have any peace, man? That goes, you promised me peace. Where is it? 
well, my thoughts are on basketball and burritos and the news and money and how I need this and how I want that and how I need, how I need, how I need. But my thoughts are not fixed on God because I can tell you this much. I will attest to this 100% accuracy truth that every time my thoughts have been fixed on God, I have been in perfect peace. The devil may come and try to throw fear at me. I'm like, I'm thinking about God right now. Shut up. I don't got time for that. I'm thinking about God right now. And my thoughts are fixed. When your thoughts are fixed on God, you're going to have perfect peace because the devil's going to come and huff and puff and, and threaten you, but you're not even going to give it a second thought because you're too busy caught up in the presence of God. And in His presence, His fullness of joy, His perfect peace is everything you need. But way too often, our thoughts are not fixed on God. And so we'll briefly discuss peace here because this is another one of those Bible words that we put our own definition on. I've got peace. I'm really happy today. What? That, that makes no You have peace because you're really happy today? Then you don't have peace. You have a temporary mood swing to happiness. But we all know tomorrow you're going to be down in the dumps. That's not peace. That's emotion. Listen. And, and, I, and you've heard me say this a thousand times if you've been around here. Here's a great definition of peace that I heard somebody say. Peace consists not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. Peace doesn't have anything to do with your surroundings. Because you could be in the middle of a war zone somewhere, but on the inside you've got the peace of God. You're fine. You could be sitting on your couch right here in the United States with no danger around you whatsoever, but be tormented and miserable and have no peace at all. Why? Because peace is not a natural thing. Peace is a spiritual thing. And so many people, I'm praying for peace. I'm praying for world peace. Keep doing it. Let me know how that works out. Please get back to me in 200 years from now and let's see how your prayers for world. I saw a church sign here in town Pray for the peace of the world. I'm not going to do that. That's a wasted prayer. It ain't happening, Captain. Listen, there's never going to be world peace because we're full of a world of people that don't belong to God. And as long as there's a bunch of knuckleheads out there that are un- living for the Satan, there's not going to be any peace. That's stupid. Never again pray for world peace. If you tell me that you do, you're getting a choke slam. You're getting a choke slam. You're going to choke slam. And then Anthony's going to give me his watch, finally. Anyway, but um, what I'm saying is this. You can't, that's stupid. Because peace does not mean there's no danger. Peace does not mean nobody's fighting. Peace means that you are right with God and you are in the presence of God. You could be in the middle of the worst chaotic situation ever, but you are totally fine emotionally, spiritually, in every other way, because you have found the peace of God. I remember going to Nicaragua last year. We talked about this a little bit. But we were out uh, knocking on doors in the jungle there, just seeing what people needed prayer for. And, you know, the obvious need to me is like, you guys probably need me to pray for some more money. You're living in a shack right now. There's a goat standing in your living room, like... There's a, I don't know, there's a chicken on your TV. Did you see that? I, we need to pray over this. But none of them prayed for more money. I'm like, what in the world? Uh, you know, the, you have no roof. Should we pray for this? None of them want to pray for that. Like, okay, because we go in with our, listen, 
We're spoiled, okay? Just, I'm, this isn't the sermon, but we're spoiled. You're hot right now, and you're like, man, I wish I could, wish I was. listen, shut up. You're spoiled. It's not that bad. We're going to be okay. Go like me. Go home. Stick your head in the freezer on some frozen vegetables and spend the night there. You'll be fine. This too shall pass, okay? But listen, so I go in there. I'm like, man, you, you, what, you need some more money. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys need? But house after house after house, man, I'm sad. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's like the exact same thing that people come up to in my prayer line every week at church in America. You, what's, what's the deal? So what this tells me, people are people everywhere you go. And so many times we try to, we, we are so bad about categorizing and stereotyping and putting people. But what I've found in my short little life here is this. We all have the same needs, the same desires. We want peace with God. We want our children provided for. We want, we all, we, people are people everywhere. We gotta get that. And so, those people down there have one one hundredth of what you have. The poorest person in here is a millionaire compared to them. But listen, they weren't concerned about money. They didn't want more money. They were like, I'm depressed, man. I'm sad and I can't get over it. This happened to me. And the exact same thing comes to me every single Sunday and Wednesday right here at this altar. Man, I'm depressed. Man, I'm sad. Man, I've got the... Listen, why is it? People are people. And people need peace with God. But you think that peace means you're happy. You think that peace means you've got money in your pocket. You think peace means there's no danger around you. And so you are searching and grasping and trying to build a house of peace, but it's a house of cards. And the devil comes and goes, and your whole thing collapses because you have no idea what you're talking about. Listen, let me show you something Jesus promised us right here. John 14, 27. Turn there quick because the clock is ticking on this service. John 14, 27. John 14 and verse 27. This is something that Jesus himself said. And if there's anybody that knows peace, it's Jesus because he is the prince of peace. That's not a cute title that was given to him. He's the prince of peace. He delivers. He knows what's up when it comes to peace. John 14, 27. I got to start reading. I am leaving you, Jesus said, with a gift. A gift? All right. Some cash? What are you leaving me with? No, here's the gift. He's like, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. That's a good thing right there because if you know what you consist of, peace of mind means peace for your soul, for your emotions. That's a good gift. And peace of heart. A heart, your heart in the Bible is your spirit. And so Jesus, if you wanted to really get literal right here, I'm leaving you peace for your souls and for your spirits. And the peace I give is a gift the world can give. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. If you've got emotional turmoil, right here, boom. Peace of mind, Jesus said, that I'm going to leave with you. Peace for your soul. Money can't buy that. There's a people, people search their whole lives for this. And here we are. Jesus said, I'm just going to give it to you, man. You ought to beg me. People are, please give me peace. Please, oh God, just give me peace in my life. Why are you doing that? Stop. He, he already said, I'm leaving you with a gift. Here it is. Peace of mind and heart. 
well, what do I got to do to get? I just got to abide in him. I need to fix my thoughts on him. I need to pay attention to him. I need to live my life for him. That's all I got to do. And I'm leaving you with peace of mind and peace for your heart, for your spirit. And so whatever your problem is, you know this. I'm preaching to the choir. God is your answer. He had an answer before you ever even had a problem. The answer to your problem existed before your problem existed. The money was there before that bill showed up. The peace was already there before you had that fight. The joy was already there before depression knocked. The answer has existed to your problem a whole lot longer than your problems existed. So he will keep you in perfect peace. I've got to move to number three here. Because it's too good to pass up. Number three, for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. I mean, these seem like so random, but they're all out of Isaiah 26. For those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. Because we hear people, man, this life is hard. Oh, the struggle's real. Man, it's bad out there. Woo! No one said, Mama said there'd be days, but man, this is bad. Really? I get it, man. There are issues in this world. There, they, it, yes, there are some real bad things that happen in this world, but for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. Oh, that means you've got to, uh, you, it's, listen. Isaiah 26, verse 7. Don't argue with me. Argue with the Bible if you want to. But good luck with that because you're going to lose that. Isaiah 26, verse 7. Check this out. Who's encouraged this evening? Very good. Isaiah 26, verse 7. But for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. There it is. I didn't make it up. And you're like, well, what's going on, man? My way is steep and rough. Well, you should examine that situation. But for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. Why? Because you are a God who does what is right and you smooth out the path ahead of them. That's pretty awesome right there that we have a God who smooths out the path ahead of you. Right. Well, the struggle's real. Shut up with that. The struggle. Listen, the struggle may be real. But Jesus is more real than the struggle. Sitting here praising you. We know where your faith is. You're praising the struggle. You're talking about, oh, struggle. Yes, you were so big and great. Oh, we lift your name. Hallelujah. The mountains are great. The problems are big. Praise. And you're, you're, you're praising and magnifying and glorifying the struggle. Instead of glorifying God. And you're wondering why the path, your path is all steep and rough. And man, this is treacherous. This is, a, this is a rough patch of highway right here. It shouldn't have to be that way. Yes, we will all face things. I, none of us are denying that the devil's going to throw things at you. And there will be opportunities in this life. But shut up with them. It's, it's steep and it's rough, man. It's bad, but it's getting worse. I tell you that. It doesn't look any better from here. Why would you say something like that, man? I'd get out and I'd wake up and I'd say, but for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. 
Anytime the devil would plant thoughts in my mind and say, man, it's bad. You've seen it. I would say, yeah, it may, it may be. But for, but for those who are righteous, the way's not steep and rough. Like, okay, well, how come? Listen, there's another qualifier to this promise. You got to be righteous. Got to be righteous. Now, I have. I, I, it's no wonder a lot of the people we see they're they're stumbling and fumbling through life and falling down and tripping and they're a nightmare all over the place. Well, maybe they're not righteous. I don't know. That's you know that's between them and God. But I know this much: I'm righteous. You conceited little jerk. No, 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 no. Who in here has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? You don't just acknowledge it, but you seriously have. You're not just saying this because you're in church right now. Okay. You're righteous. Yeah. You're righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 says that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not righteous because I'm cool. I'm righteous because Jesus is cool. I didn't deserve it. It's the grace of God. I've got to close down because it's 8 o'clock. One last verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Because you've got to realize, man, you've got the grace of God working for you right now. And so you're like, well, but why, but why is the way steep? Why is all this happening? Listen, you need to get a little bit of an understanding of what the grace of God is. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Write it down. I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul was dealing with some struggle. He said, each time he said, the Lord said to him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so Paul says, now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so the power of Christ can work through me. Well, what does that mean? Well, to put it in modern day, in in layman's terms, I guess, here's how I word it. Jesus is telling Paul, when you quit relying on your own strength and admit you can't do it on your own, my strength and my grace kicks into action. And that's all you need right there. He says, my grace is on my strength works best in your weakness. So that means I got to like get really weak. That's just you need to quit relying on your own strength and let God's grace kick into action. His grace works best. When you quit relying on yourself. That's what that means. And then Paul says, I'm glad to admit I can't do it on my own. I'll boast in my weakness all day long so the power of Christ can work through me. I admit it. I can't do it on my own. God's grace works best when I come to that determination that, hey, hey, when I'm weak, he's strong. I get that and I'm down with that because that means I'm going to rely on the grace of God and not on my own ability. Because at that point, yeah, the struggle's real and it's really real. If it's up to me to figure this thing out, then the struggle's bad and it's going to overcome me and I'm going to die. But listen, listen, the grace of God, the grace of God. He says, my grace is all you need. You think that's a lie? You think, well, seriously, you think that's a lie or do you think the grace of God is all you really need? So I just throw this out there for you tonight as we end our evening of encouragement is that I'll bet things would go a whole lot better for you and for me if I would learn to rely on the grace of God and say, you know what, Lord, you, this is yours, man. You, you want me to do this? I'll do it.
You want me to give this away? Consider it done. You want me to go? Fine, I'll do it. When you will start learning to obey him and rely on him instead of yourself, that struggle that's been so real, it's not so bad anymore. He smooths out the path ahead of you. Because for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. He smooths out the path for you. Amen? Let's end right there. Let's go ahead and stand up together tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.